You know, I, I don't know if you watched or were here last week when Kurt spoke. He did like a, a summary of the story of what he believes God's doing in our church and in our church family. It was really a wonderful thing to listen to it. And one of my takeaways, and it's really been at the very heart and the core of what I believe about Redeem, is that indeed God is knitting our hearts together in love. That's a, a phrase that I've heard uh, Pastor Kurt use many times, and I just think it's true. And you'll see in the message today the truth of that. Uh, Kurt, but one of the things that you shared in the message that I really had to wonderfully wrestle with, and uh, in it, it made me a different person after I wrestled with it, okay? And he said that we were supposed to be knit together in love. I'm saying, yes, of course, of course. I, you know, who doesn't want to be knit together in love with other people, right? I mean, we should all want that. We all need that. Raise your hand if you can use some more love, right? I mean, come on, love is uh, so significant. We know the source of it is uh, the Lord. But then he went on and he said, because as we really are knit together in love, we will reflect the gospel so that the gospel can do what the gospel does. Did you hear him say that? Yes. And I just sat there, what do you mean the gospel will do what the gospel does? And so I thought about it for a while. You know what the gospel does? It changes everything. Good. It literally flips everything. The gospel is the good news that came to a dark world and changed everything. And the gospel just does what the gospel does. And so this is what's amazing. We're going to see today that God had actually put this concept of the gospel at the very beginning in the life of his chosen uh, vessel, Abraham, who is going to be the father of faith. We've all heard of Father Abraham, right? And he is the leader. He's what's known as the, the patriarch, and he is the man of faith. And it was said by God of him, and I just want you to hear this. He said, by you, Abraham, because of your faith, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. Are you aware of that? That because of your faith, Abraham, in me, because of your willingness to trust me, to go to a new place, all the people of all time will be blessed through you and your offspring. Wow. And then we even see it, it goes on into the New Testament where it says in Galatians 3, 25 through 29, it will say something like this, that do you not know that if you are the household of faith, if you are the people of faith, then you are the true descendants of Abraham. There's neither... Jew nor Greek, rich nor poor, male nor female, young or old. It's only those who know the life of Christ. That's how we see each and every person. And so that's who we are. And we're going to see in a moment that what God's going to be doing through the book of Ruth is he's going to push the reset button so we can get back to that. So I just want you to put here the background and the context of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth comes after Judges, and, and it's in order time-wise, too. Sometimes the books aren't. But Judges ended with this concept of everybody was just doing what was right in their own sight. So if you want to bring up uh, the verse Judges 21 through 25, this is the very end of the book of Judges. And so the Judges chronicles a season of time where the Israelites had come in, they'd come into the promised land, they'd done their part, they'd inherited their space, all right? But they weren't living the life. Instead of really understanding how you move from occupying your space to literally being the blessings to all people for all time, that's a big jump, folks. And so they, uh, you know, and, and 
there's zero judgment on me for the book of Judges. Amen? This is not a judgment. This is just an acknowledgement of the way it went. It's really hard to bless all people for all time. That's a big call. And so they had given up on that, and they'd gone sideways. And they were just doing, quote, unquote, the best they can. And this is what Scripture says. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is the most terrifying last phrase I know of in Scripture. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let me tell you about the problem of doing what's right in our own eyes. It just about always comes at the expense of others. Every time we do what's right in our own eyes, we need to do cost-benefit analysis that is not costing someone else something, right? The way of God isn't to do what's right in our own eyes. The way of God is to give your life away to bless all people for all time. He had called 12 tribes, 12 different brothers to come together and be one, to know him and to walk out this promise. And people, the folks at this time in the... Uh, period of history in which Ruth was written, they were not on point. They were 180 off. And I would suggest to you that here we are, 3,600 years later, and we're still off point. But the need is the exact same. The need is for us to quit doing what's right in our own eyes, come together and bless all people for all time. That's his call. And scripture even tells us Jesus just, when he ascends his death, he says, okay, let me make it clear one more time, right? You go to all the world, right? You go. You take what? You take the message of the gospel so that the gospel can do what the gospel does. That's the word. So that's our calling. So anyone that doesn't want that, we're in the wrong house. No, I mean that. That's the calling. I wish I could say it's it's different than that. It's not. It's the same for us as it was for Ruth, the same as it was for the judges, the same as it was for Abraham. Come together, all you tribes. Love me, know me, and now carry what I have to others who need it. That's what we do. So uh, I just want to acknowledge that if it's not happening, it's not God's fault. If it's not happening, it's because we're thinking too small. Because usually when we are doing what's best in our own eyes, we're thinking about ourselves, which is too small. The Lord's thinking about each and every for all time. I love the way he thinks. I wish I could think more like he thinks, right? And that's what we're going to see today. He's going to start calling people and he says, I'm going to do a reset and put you on the right destiny to where we get to come together. And he even tells us in the end of his book, so that every tribe, every tongue, every nation will come together, worship me and know me in spirit and truth. That's what he's looking for. That's our call. That's what we get to do. And if you look around, it's not happening, right? And so we're in the middle of a whirlwind and we're called to bless all people for all time. Are any of you about ready to check out and go, this isn't going to happen? I, I just need, you know, a nice little antidote to get me through the next two hours. Uh, I'm not looking for any shortcuts. I'm looking for eternity today. I'm looking for eternal truths. They're going to change me from the very core of my being so I have something to bring to others, right? And so here's what I'm sensing is that 
today, when you look at what the word said, that everyone's doing what was right in his own eyes, uh, it's very similar to our situation. And at some point, we're going to have to show the world something different. They're going to have to see it, which is why the Lord put his life in us to give us uh, life to give and show it to others people. So here's, here's the obstacle. The obstacle is that in the landscape that we see today, here's the things that we see first. So if you're just looking around with human eyes, and you know I don't want to minimize anything, but this is really what you're going to see. Number one, you're going to see financial uncertainties. It's more difficult to buy a home. It requires more money. There's a, what they're calling the financial cliff is coming. There's financial uncertainties. People have never been more indebted. It goes on and on. There's the gap between those who have and those who have not is increasing. Just don't, you know, we don't want to ignore it. It's there. There's financial uncertainty, and it's easy to see that. Number two is that there's social and civil unrest. And if you don't see that, we're not looking too hard. The news is right there. We saw where people are, their social and civil unrest is so great that we're willing to take each other's lives. Instead of giving our lives to somebody else, we're willing to take somebody else's life in revenge. And then the ongoing rest of a global pandemic, uh, you know, I'm in education and, and there's a lot of young people, kids, that are just behind because they didn't have the opportunity to be in a normal learning environment for two years. It was hit and miss and pivot and all this, and they're struggling. And, and for us to minimize that, it's wrong, right? You need to acknowledge it and see what it really is. Why? Because we actually have the answer. We don't minimize the problem, we maximize Jesus. We maximize truth. And the world knows when we're candy coating things. Somebody said that, I love that. We're not here to candy coat, we're here to tell the truth and then represent the truth and be the truth. That's how it really works. And so what I get nervous is that when I'm seeing what the world has for answers, it's political promises that are really weak. I don't know about you, but the political promises that I've heard are getting old. Yeah. They're just getting old. And so I don't have confidence in political promises anymore. I'm just acknowledging that. Hey, if you do, great. Um, and then there's a new thing out there. It's called AI, artificial intelligence. You know, I don't know about you, but even if it wasn't artificial, I'm not sure that the intelligence that the world has to be able to drum up is gonna help me much. <laughs> I'm serious. Einstein said it so well. You can't solve a problem with the same mindset that created it. If it's human intelligence, it's human intelligence, artificial, one step worse. We don't need more human. We need eternal. We just do. And then this is, this is the thing that I've seen a lot of people talk to me about. It's, and I give them an opportunity to say this because I... I can appreciate, but they'll say, well, we just need to hold out till the aliens come and save us. I'm going, yeah, it sounds funny, but man, there's a lot of folks that are hoping for aliens. And they're, I mean, they, they believe in aliens more than we in the Northwest believe in Sasquatch, right? It's, you know, maybe there's angels from a different realm. I don't know all these things, but I'm not even trusting in angels if they are angels. I'm trusting in the one I've seen who gave his life away and changed everything. <laughs> That's where I'm putting my trust, right? I'm trusting in the one who's from everlasting to everlasting, nothing less than that. And, and what we do, just like we minimize the problem, we don't want to minimize the Savior. Your Savior isn't a political party. It wasn't very convincing, folks. We're pretty close. 
Your savior is not going to be artificial intelligence, more technology. It's not going to be. And it won't be some weird thing out there that isn't coming. He's already come. And he laid the path straight, and we don't like it because he went straight to the cross. He went the hard route. And we look at that, and I'm just telling you today, what you're going to see in the book of Ruth is she saw the hard route, and she took it. And it's time for us to take it too. All right? All right, so he had made provisions. When things get hard, if there's a famine in the land, as there was, there was a famine in the land. If I had more time, I can show you in Scripture that famines are the byproduct of human behavior, not just climate. I can show it to you. I can prove it to you. Almost every famine recorded in Scripture in Scripture is due to the, the famine of the people, their unwillingness to invite God into their lives. You don't invite God, you get what you get. And usually what we do is we bring indulgence and self-centeredness, and that uses up the land and creates famines. That, anyway, you study that on your own, you'll see it. And I'll show you some scripture here that helps us. So there can be famines, but this is what I want to make sure we understand, that there are consequences to our actions, people. When we leave God out, we leave God out, and we will get what we get. And it's not what he can bring. And what we bring is no substitute to who he is, right? Or to whom he is. Uh, so he had made an option. And I just want you to see this in 1 Kings 8, 37, 39, so that we know that when things go wrong, he knew they would go wrong. So at the very beginning, when we rejected God, we invited chaos to have control of planet Earth. That's why I affectionately call planet Earth planet crazy now. Because there's chaos. Chaos reigns. The enemy has a right. The enemy's come in and been able to manipulate the things that God wanted for us from the forefront. Because we left God out. We rejected him and we allowed the enemy to come in because we said, we want the apple. We want this. I want, I, I, I. All right, you get it. Right? And so we sold out our willingness to say, hey, God, we trust, we trust, we trust. I want, I want, I want. And that there's consequences for that. Amen? It's okay to acknowledge that. Uh, it, what we don't want is to live out the consequences when God's wanting us to live out the blessing because we don't want to give consequences to other people. We've been saved by God to give life to other people so that the gospel can do what the gospel does. He's not wanting us to walk in the shortcomings of our life. He's walking, wanting us to walk, as in the song said, in the fullness of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but worship team was blue flame this morning. I looked at David and I said, David, Scott, no, you're going to bring it today because I'm feeling pretty fired up. So you got any fire you? And he said, I got blue flame. I got, not, not lambs. That's the new name for our worship team. Blue flame. Isn't that good? And then did you see Chris start on the drums? He, he couldn't remember where to start. And did you see him about once he got going? Oh, man, you weren't stopping him. He was going. It was sweet. And then, uh, I'm sorry, Jason, I know you invited me to sing with you on that song where you give him feedback, but I feel like it wasn't right. So here's what God's word says about when, it's, when it gets hard, and when there's a famine, this is what you can do. If there is a famine in the land, if there is pestilence, if there is blight or mildew, locusts or grasshopper, 
if their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, Kurt, Ron, or supplication is made by any man or by all your people, Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and spreading his hand hands towards this house, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the, know the hearts of all the sons of men. When it gets bad, regardless, did you hear that? I don't care if it's a bug, mildew, sickness, or whatever. When it gets bad, Lord God, if we will turn our hearts to you, our broken hearts, and we will acknowledge that we don't have it all in order, then you will hear from your place in heaven forever, eternity, and you will heal our land. That is God's solution. There wasn't one man-made thing in the solution. Did you see that? The only man-made thing was we got a broken heart. And he knows the affliction of our heart. He knows that we're yet sinners and struggling. We can't see it all. He understands that. And he's willing to literally come and give us his life so that we can begin to see. And so what we're going to see happens here is that while this provision was in place, that the judges didn't take this provision. And every man did what was right in their own sight instead. So I just want us to know that um, the opportunity that we have to lean into this truth is really what Redeem's about. There's a reason we have kingdom prayer nights. There's a reason that um, we believe in prayer because we're going to go to the Lord and we're going to say things are not going well. And they're out of control. And we want you to have control. And it begins here. Have control with this thing right here. Would you control my heart so that my afflicted heart gets right and I see things correctly so I can make a difference with the time I have on planet crazy? Amen? So that's what's really going on. And what he wants to, to do is to quit this idea of doing what's right in our own sight or running away. That's what you're going to see in the book of Ruth. You don't get to do what you think is right, and you don't get to run from the problem. Those two options are out. Can we put all those options out now? Yes. Now think of an area where you're struggling, and you go like, you just don't get to do whatever you want, and you don't get to run away. But once those cards are off the table, now you can make a real hand. Are you willing to take both those cards off the table? Because if you're not, we go on into the book of Ruth, it's not going to make sense. you got to be able to say, I'm not running away. I will not run away from a problem. I'm not here to be a runner. I'm here to be an overcomer. So that's got to be number one. And number two, I'm not doing whatever I want. I'm willing to do what God says is right. Those are the cards that he's playing. So this is what I think is a beautiful thing, is just to stop and think that through for a moment. When has running away from a problem ever worked for you? I remember it was so funny. It's not funny, funny, but kind of funny. But anyway, I, I, we were young, and uh, Marcy and I were pastoring our first church in Port Angeles, Washington. And we were working with the young adults, and we were young adults ourselves. We were helping this one couple, and they were gone through some financial difficulties, and they'd been praying about it. And then I got a phone call one night, and they said, God answered our prayer. 
we had our financial breakthrough. And I said, Kevin, that's so cool. What was it? What is it? Tell me more. He said, I got a credit card and it's got a $5,000 limit. <laughs> I go, no, 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 that's not the answer. You know, it, it's almost like we want that route, right? And what the Lord's really doing is, no, I want you to live below your means and save money. I want you to buy less stuff and save more, right? And so again, we've, we've got to take the wrong things off the table. We've got to open our eyes to see things through God's way, or it's very likely that we're going to miss it. And, I, you know, the, that couple became such a monumental uh, group of people in our church. They were just, they were solid. It was a beautiful thing to see God use their lives. Anyway, so we don't want to be run, runners. We don't want to miss it. We don't want to be... Um, one of those that are looking for the easy way out because we may find the easy way out. And the last thing of all is we don't want to let down people who are actually doing the right thing. You know, when we run away, that leaves less people who are doing the right thing. Come on. I, I don't want to do that because it's too hard. Yeah, guess what you just did? You made it harder for the people who are doing what's right. Would you quit making it hard for people who are trying to do what's right? There's chores to be done. When you don't do your chores, somebody else has to do those chores. But come on, do your part. And so that's part of it. So are we all in agreement? I'm not going to be a runner, and I'm not looking for the easy way out. All right. All right, let's get this. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to invite God into the very situation that I'm facing. And when you do, you invite God to deal with the problem. And here's, here's what I suggest happens. That if we come to a place where we're struggling, then what we get to do is invite God in. And when we do, we, we're still going to mess up. But when we mess up, the people that we invite in along with God, that's called community, and that's our safe space. Listen, if you're going to do what's right, it's going to be hard, and you're going to mess up. We're all going to mess up. You don't get hard right the first time. And so we're going to have some situations. And so what I'm suggesting, invite God into it so that when we mess up, we're in the right space, the gray space. We have people, community that care about us. I need a safe space to make problems because I'm trying my best, right? This is number four slide, people. Thank you. And I'm so hard to follow on my slides. I'd, Lord, thank you for the people that help. So when we mess up, our community should be our safe space. And when things go sideways or we go sideways, our community should be our landing space. I've got the world's best life group. Now, everybody thinks they have the world's best life group, but we've got the world. I, don't know. I love my life group because, you know, thick or thin, hard, messy, whatever, we're there. And you can tell your stuff in my life group. If you come and you fake it in my life group, they'll say, okay, why are you faking it today? It's just it's like, wow, it's sucking you tell. We need, we need that. You need a community where you can be real, folks. You really do. And if we don't have that, then we really don't have that opportunity to really be loved on and encouraged through our stuff. We need a landing place, and that's the people of God. The number three is if you're getting it right, then you need a sharing space. Share your success. We need to, church should be a place where we share with each other. Hey, it, it's, I've got this. You need this? 
a lot of us working on the building together because you're seeing, I mean, I've seen a bunch of ladies in here doing mud work, painting, all this stuff. It's, it's kind of humbling. They're, it really is. They're, they're just doing what they can, and we're all, but we all get to share our stuff. Some of us have time and talents and different things. What a beautiful thing to say, I've got some stuff I can share. Right now, there's people walking around the parking lot making sure my truck doesn't get broken into or stolen again. Thank you for those folks, right? So we've, we've got skills, we've got experience, but church should really be where we share our stuff, especially our successes. If you have something that you can do well, bring it, because others need it. And that's how we bless all the people all the world, right? We just start giving stuff away that has value. So the bottom line is this. God has said, I want all the tribes to come together to be a, bl a blessing to all the people for all time. The way Jesus said it is, I want you to love God with all your heart and mind, your soul and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you're doing that, your bottom line unit, we're going to get ahead. You ready to get into Ruth? See how it looks? All right. Um, conceptually, I just, uh, I'm just going to show this real quick. The book of Ruth in slide number five is going to tell us to do three things well. So we've got to get three things. It's basically, it's three steps. And sometimes in Ruth, you're going to see some people are stepping backwards, and then you have to go to step one again, right? But you're going to see three steps all the time. Number one step is you're going to have to learn how to trust God. I'm just telling you straight up front, you've got to be able to trust God with situations. And God's answers are not always our answers, right? His ways are not always our ways but they will see you through. They will. And so you've got to trust in him. We're going to get to more of that in a moment. Number two, your second step, once you trust God, is you have to be willing to build community. Your heart isn't, I just want, I trusted God, so now, woohoo! I got the prosperity gospel going. I named it, I claimed it, and I'm all on easy street. Nope, doesn't work that way. You've trusted God, thick or thin, and you're building community. You're loving your neighbor as yourself. That's got to happen. And then number three, you've got to learn how to die to yourself. Uh, dying to self is what keeps you in the game because you're giving yourself away. The more we give ourselves away, the more Holy Spirit comes and fills us. It's just that simple. So these are the three things you're going to see over and over in the book of Ruth, and I think they're very relevant to today. Would you agree? You've got to be able to trust God. You've got to be able to build community. Number three, you've got to consistently die to yourself. There, there's no shortcut. That's it. All right, so let's jump into God's book. And uh, again, friends, the book of Ruth is one of the greatest love stories ever recorded. It is one of the most beautiful stories. It's used. We've heard a lot of it. Don't just listen to it. Don't know oh, I've heard that before. But lean into these truths and let it transform the way we respond to life, okay? All right, let's begin with Ruth 1, verses 1 through 5. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Epaphorites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. 
Then both Mahlon and Jillian also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. This is a fascinating way to begin a story, isn't it? There was a certain man, and they, they go like, whenever somebody's called a certain man, that means that can be you. That can be me. Male, woman, young or old, when it goes, there's a certain, that means this can be anybody. Then later on, it's going to give us a name. But just remember, just because this is a Elimelech doesn't mean it's not us, too, that we can't go sideways, right? There was a certain man. He was in a place, and he was a prominent individual. I can tell you when you look at Elimelech, and his name means God is my king, so he's, he's got everything right. He has two sons, which in the, this day and age, that was security. He also had money. He had property. He had all the right things. And then a famine comes. But instead of going to the Lord and beseeching the Lord to change it for him and everyone else, he decides to go to another place because he hears in Moab, the neighboring country, that there isn't a famine. And so he does a cost-benefit analysis and says, I'm going to move over there. I'm going to go. I'm going to take my resources and my family. And, you know, again, zero judgment on Elimelech. He's just sitting there thinking through, what do you do? Because in this day and age, no crops, no food right? No food, nothing. And so I'm sure he's looking at it and thinking, if I'm going to be able to take care of my, my wife and kids, I'm just going to have to find a new opportunity. So he's trying to create an opportunity for himself. So he goes to Moab, but what he doesn't know is that the consequences of going to Moab are going to be much worse and further furthering a, uh, a collision than had he stayed and walked through the famine. We, we know this because we know the end of the story. To his credit, he doesn't know it. He's just doing the best he can. Maybe he's even thinking like this. I'm going to redeploy my resources. I'm going to take money and put invested in Moab, right, where there is crops, because I can't afford to import crops at an elevated price. This is a good idea. Humanly, it, it can make sense. And he wasn't the first one that did it. Abraham did it. Several of the saints did the same thing. When there's a famine, they took it, they looked for easy street instead of staying the course. They just did it. Hey, welcome to the human race. When things get hard, we don't always stay the course. We have a tendency to do what? We're running away because of the things that we want. And so we got to get rid of I want and I run so that we can become overcomers. But anyway, he went that route. And when he went there, we, we hear there what happened. And that was that the, uh, the famine also uh, hit him in a very real way in the sense that for some reason, we don't know how, but he dies. Then when he dies, his wife, Naomi, is left with two sons who are sickly. They marry, and they're there 10 years, and then the two sons die. That's what we know about so far in the story of Ruth. Not really where you want to be. So at this point, what I can tell you with a high level of integrity is that if things get hard, and they will, that step number one is not to run but to trust God. That's, that's, that's step number one. Do not run. Trust God. What's interesting, Elimelech was willing to go to Moab to get what they had, where God was saying, I want my people to go where they need me. Not to get what they have, but to give them what they don't have. That's what Jesus was saying to us. 
I, I want you to go to every corner, not to get what you can from every corner, but to give what they don't have, life in Christ to every corner. So he went and it didn't work for him. And then I just want to acknowledge that in that, what he had missed was the opportunity to take care of his wife and his family. That was taken away because of the consequences of his actions. It didn't happen. So uh, again, so easy to run, consequences not so good. Number two is that I want us to look at it and say, it's easy to look at Elimelech and say he wasn't trusting God enough. I want us just to look at our own lives for a moment and see how well we do. So I, I invented a trust meter, isn't this awesome? You ready to do a trust meter? Can you guys hear me out in the lobby? Huh? You don't look very excited out there, lobby people. It's been this going, man. This is the trust factor, the trust meter. So can we pull up trust meter? So this is where we're at. Situations are going to come up. They're going to be hard. They're going to be difficult. We have an opportunity. Number one is that you can trust in God being greater than your situation. That's what you're called to do. Can you trust God to be greater than your situation? Number two is that you can trust in outcomes instead, your expectations. Not, that's going in the wrong direction, I'm letting you know. If you're saying, okay, God, I trust you because I want this or I need that or my expectation is, that's name it and claim it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about trusting that God knows the greater good and not getting sidestepped into, and the greater good is the outcome I want. And so that's, not, that's important. Then distrust, so what we often do is we go, okay, God, I trust you, you're a good God, and here's my expectations for you to be good, so you need to give me this. And then all of a sudden, this doesn't come as fast or the way that we wanted it, and then we say, well, now I'm in doubt. Now we've moved on the trust meter to distrust. God, I'm not, this, wasn't, this wasn't working so good. This trusting God stuff isn't so great. No, you were trusting for your expectations, which is not so great. Then the next one is you actually come to a, mis a place of mistrust. In other words, I don't trust any God anymore. I I'm stuck. I can't trust anybody. That's how some people feel. I've, seen, I've been stuck in this situation forever. It's, I'm not getting the outcome I want. And so what I want you to do is to get unstuck. Here's the hard, fat, wonderful truth. The only way to get unstuck is to go back to number one at a deeper level. You can't even just go back and say, I trust that God has the greater good in mind. You've actually got to say, I, I trust in God for a greater gooder. That his gooder was much gooder than I thought in the first place. Are you with me? Yes. That's how you get unstuck. You have to go back and say, Lord, I do trust you. I don't care. I have zero expectations except to honor you with my life, to trust you, to lean into you. When you do that, you're moving in the right direction. God has an empty vessel at that point. He can do with us whatever he wants because we've taken our limits and our expectations away from him. And now we get to allow him to do what he does best, which is be God. And what's he trying to do? Friends, he's trying to lead us to get over ourselves to allow him to live through us. He's trying to lead us to get over ourselves so that he can live through us. That's where we're going with it. That's what Elimelech missed. He went away looking for the expectations. Things went south and they got worse. I'm suggesting to you, 
Let's take that first step of trusting. For some of us, if it's hard for you to trust, would you trust him for a greater gooder than what you thought? Would you just start trusting him again? So number two, we're going to see that there's a movement that's now going to happen. If you are willing to trust God in such a way that you're trusting him for a greater good, then what you're really telling him is, God, I think it's going to get hard, but I'm not going to run. And even if it does get hard, I'm here. I just want to show you a video for a moment. This is Carol Austin. She's the uh, women's coach of Duke basketball. Some of you, and I'm, Kurt, I'm so sorry. This is an Indiana basketball. I did the best I could. But this uh, Believe in Woman has a message that I think is really uh, encapsulates the concept behind Ruth. And so I just want you to watch this video with me. That's the mindset of an overcomer. 
Now, what I want to acknowledge is that what you're going to see in the book of Ruth is that's your mindset, but you've got to be around people who carry it as well. And so she's on a team, right? She's coaching a team, a famous team. And so she knows how to build team. God's building church. He's looking for people who want to be overcomers, who can come together and build that team, that team of people who can take the overcoming life of Christ to other people. That's what we do. And oh, by the way, it's going to be really hard. That's why we need each other. So step number two is we're going to have to build a community of people who get it. We've got to be around those who actually get this. Don't look for people on easy street because they don't walk with you in the trenches. They just don't. All right. Here's the second thing, and you're going to see this in Ruth. Now we're at Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Let's see what happens. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant you that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Naomi's going, man, I have nothing left. All I have is two daughters now, two daughter-in-laws. Everything's gone. But I'm hearing now a report that there's food back in Judah. And so I'm going to go back there because I'm still chasing what I want, what I need. But maybe she's just wanting to go home, right? What's beautiful about what Naomi does is that she's leaving to go back that the community that she's built, the people that she has surrounded herself with, the people that she's gone through these difficult things in life with, want to go with her. It's evidence that she knew how to build community. What's amazing is that they survived that long in a hostile land. If we told you about Moab and the cruelty and the things that took place there, it's astonishing that a woman could have even lived that long in that situation. She did it. Her strength is phenomenal. But it's, not, it, it's nothing compared to her ability to create community. Because when she's leaving and going back, these two daughters are willing to leave everything to go with her. Isn't that amazing? And so they're leaving and they're going back. So she's built the community. And I would just suggest to you that when you really love people well like that, community works. Community isn't what you find. Community is what you are, what you bring. She brought it. They were with her. She was bringing community with her. She was bringing the people that got it and wanted to be around her. And so she's, she's heading back. And then all of a sudden, what's really sad, she gets close to Bethlehem, the city of bread. And she thinks like this, oh my goodness, I've got two Moabite women with me. How well are they going to be received in my community? Are you with me? And all of a sudden, now the light comes on and she goes like this, this may not end well. They may not accept these two women. They may not fit into Bethlehem. And so she says, you need to just go back home. And by the way, you know, just recognize that maybe you can find new husbands and then everything will be okay. You know, hey, Naomi, how well did that work for you, right? It didn't work so well for you. And yet, you know, she's just at this place of thinking, 
oh my goodness, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to take care of them in the situation, the society that I'm getting ready to walk into. They had customs, they had culture, they had all this stuff, and she saw it being a collision. And what's interesting is that uh, there was a time when I was you know, leading churches, and I, and I even thought of a few people that I invited. I thought, I wonder how well they're going to be received at our church. It's almost like that. I mean, will we really love on them? Or are they going to feel like, oh, my goodness, I don't fit in here, right? A lot of times the reason people don't come to church is because they don't feel like they're going to fit in or they don't see the use of it. Why? Because it's really hard out there. We don't always have the answers. We should be the community that is the answer, right? And we should be able to receive people, not just because they're like us, but because they need us. That's how it's supposed to work. Why? Because we're blessing them. So that's where it was moving for Naomi. And I just want to acknowledge that genuine community will not repel people, but it compels people. It compels people to come to see what's there. It compels us to stay. It compels us to come home. Naomi was on her way home, and she brought the two closest people in her life. I want us to feel that way about our opportunities to be a part of Redeemed Church, that we're compelling people to be here because of his great love for us. That's number two is, again, building community. Now we're going to go to number three, and this is the, um, the way that we really make it all come together. And number three is just quite this simple. You've got to conquer self. If you want to trust God, if you want to build community, then you're going to have to die to self. So communion with God, number one. Community with others, number two. Number three, conquer self. Self will get in the way of what God wants us to do. I find this interesting. I just want to share real briefly that God says that when he made us in our innermost being, that he put eternity in our heart. Eternity is down deep inside of us. You can't run away from the eternity because he's pre-coded you with it. So it's in us. And the only way to lose sight of eternity is to give way to the flesh. When we make flesh more important than what's in the innermost side of our being, then we can lose sight of eternity. We really can. I want to I meet the needs of myself versus understand that what, what's the big deal? At one point, I'm going to be with him forever anyway. Is this flesh stuff? Is this earthly stuff? Is this passion stuff worth eternity? It never is. Jesus made it so clear. He said, woe to the person who sells his soul, right? Go for, the, go for what matters the most. So it should be a wise thing to die for self. And yet most of us, when we're struggling because we don't trust God, or most of us, when we don't have strong community, we buy stuff. We're, we're trying to get stuff to make up for the fact that our self is sick. And there's no stuff in the world that will take place for your eternal needs to know the life of God. It's just that simple. So you have to be able to die to self. Now listen, and let me show you how it works in Ruth chapter 1, verses 10 to 14. It says this, However, they said to her, the two daughters, No, but we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughter. She's using command form. No, go back. I don't have the answers for you. 
Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I were even to have a husband tonight and also give birth to his sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it's much more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has come out against me. And they raised their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Oh my goodness, I tell you one once rough. I don't need somebody telling me, I told you so. I told you that was a bad choice. Or yeah, hey, I'm, it's, it's kiss and go time now. Yeah, you're right. This is a mess. I'm out of here. I got to go home and get things in order while I still can. That, that was Orpah's response. They only finally figured it out. This isn't going to work. I can't make this work humanly. But God was calling her home. Ruth saw that. And Ruth wasn't there to say, I told you so, or do anything other than to cling to her. And so Ruth lays down her expectations, her needs, just to be there for Naomi. That's what I mean by dying to self. Friends, when you can just lay down our stuff, try to give life to another person, you're on the right course. You're on the way home. My mother always said it this way. She said, Marty, you're, there's two kinds of people in the world, givers and takers, and you're going to need to choose which one you're going to be. That's what she would say. It's like, oh, do you have to make it that clear? It was. And so today I want you to know that I've chosen Jesus. I have. I chose Jesus to forgive me of my sins, my shortcomings. I choose him for that. I also choose Jesus to give me something to give to someone else. It's both. Lord, forgive me, and I receive your forgiveness. And then, Lord, would you give me your life so I have something meaningful and purposeful to give to others? That's the way it really works. All right, so in conclusion, I want us to go to this uh, amazing understanding that there indeed is a famine in the land, it was and it was predicted again 3,500 years ago. It's found in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. It says this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. There's going to be a time, he said, when people want their way so much that they won't even see the way, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to Father but through me. There's going to be that famine, and I'm going to make it so clear between right and wrong, good and evil, heaven and hell, that they're going to have to see it at some point. And I'm asking each one of us today just to see it that simple. Ruth got it. You know what? We're going to pick up on this next week. But she's going, I'm choosing your God. I'm choosing that community. I'm choosing to lay myself down to go and be all in with the Lord. So I would acknowledge in my life, if you want to be able to see God move so that we have something to give to other people, we must first receive from him. Friends, um, I'm asking for clarity. What, I'm, what I don't want is for us to hear this and to go away thinking, you know, that, that's an option or that was interesting. I can remember years ago, I was at a sales conference for Granger and the chairman of the company said, I need something from all of you. And there was 3,600 people in the room. I need all of you to move our corporate initiative forward. This is your part. 
you from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m., whatever time zone you are in, wherever you're at in the world, from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m., I need you to make at least one more call and one more visit. Are you with me? And everybody jumped up. We're with you. We'll do it. And then we got back, and my boss, and he's a great boss, Ronnie, said, uh, all right, I'm, I'm going to require us to, to learn how to walk in this new culture and this new initiative to make one more call between four and five. And so he, he invited us all to a very nice restaurant. He had appetizers. We got there. There was about nine people on the team. And then he, he, he said, okay, now, I know for some of you, you think it's a quirky thing just to make one more call. But if we did that, here's, here's how it would impact our numbers, our bottom line, blah, blah, blah. And then he turned to me and he said, Marty, you've, you've been one of the highest achievers for the last few years. Would you tell them how many calls you make from four to five? And so then I, I was at this bad place of being honest or dishonest. And I said, well, I don't make any calls from four to five. I, I, I said, you know, I, my clients were really far away, Westport and, and Raymond and stuff. So I get up at five. I said, I'm done with work by two to three. I, so I said, I don't really make calls. And he looked at me like, you are worthless. It's just the wrong thing. So then he turned to another guy's name was Mark. And Ron, I, I hope you can appreciate this because I, I feel your pain, man. So he turned to another guy who was also a, a you know, achiever, been to President's Club, all these things. And he said, he said Mark, um, would you tell the, the rest of the team how many calls you make from four to five and how that's going to look for you? And he said, well, actually, Ron, uh, I start having me time from three to five. And Ron said, what do you mean, me time? And he said, well, I've got two kids, and I have to pick them up from school and do stuff. So I just need some me time. I said, he said, so I don't make any calls from that time. I'm kind of done. And he said, sometimes, quite frankly, I'm just sitting around having a beer, chilling out from three to five. My <laughs> boss was just like, you could see the veins, excuse me, popping in his neck. And, he, and then he, you know, he just said, oh, my gosh. And he looked at us, and he, he, he said, you know what? Let's just have dessert. <laughs> Let's just have dessert. He just gave up. Listen, I, what I'm afraid of today is that when you look at this and I say, you have to trust God, no matter how hard, just keep trusting him for a greater gooder. When I say to you, you've got to build community, that you literally have to care about other people more than yourself and die to yourself, that's a hard call. And what I don't want us to do is go, well, let's just give up and go get dessert. No, we're going to stay the course. It's not about going from here upstairs. It's about going out there. It's about having the love and the life of Christ in us so much that it compels us to love other people. That's what we're really looking for. Am I on the right team? And that's beautiful. And friends, what we're going to see over the next six weeks is that Ruth, a woman from Moab, modeled this life. She helped transform her community, her new community, by living this way. And so that's what our opportunity is. Do you think it's rough now? It is rough. you think it's going to get easier? It's not. Do you think the Lord's going to pour out more of his life in us? Absolutely. Do you want to give him away? That's all it requires. Step number one is to know this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's Hebrews 11, 6. Friends, that's the whole point of trusting him. You've got to have faith that he will come through and that he rewards us for at least trying. That's what he does. You've got to have faith that when you are in community and you sacrifice for others, that it makes a difference. And it does make a difference. You've got to have faith that living for eternity is more important than living for yourself. 
And for some of us, we just need to proclaim it. We need to say it. Some of us already believe this, but we've never said it. We've never made it clear. I choose Jesus. There's givers, there's takers. I choose him. He gave his life for me. I say, yes, I'm going to be a giver. I don't know exactly where it's going to take me other than I'm going to be going and giving my life away. But that's what I'll do with the rest of the days I have on Planet Crazy. If you've never said it, let's just stand up now as we close. Let's, let's say it. Let's tell him. Some of us, our trust meter is not at the greater gooder place. And I just invite you to, at this point, say, Lord, I'm going to trust you again. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for using us to be able to invest in other people. That's what we want to do. Would you be the one who guides our step? Would you lead us, Father, to the place of being able to really trust in you? Thank you that you trust us with your life. And so now I'm asking, Lord God, even as we sang earlier, Holy Spirit, come and fill us. In the name of Jesus, amen.